This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Austin, also known as Teacup. And my name is Shelby, also known as SheCup. Join us as we embark on unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed universe. From Assassins to Templars to the mysterious Isu and more, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Shelby, or Sheikup, and I'm one of your hosts for this show, and I am super excited to be back here today to continue our season two. Yeah, and I am Austin, or Teacup. I am your other host for this podcast. I'm excited to be here, too. So, I heard that this may be our last Pieces of Eden episode. It is our last while. pieces of Eden episode, just because there might be a couple more that I've missed, but they're either subcategories or there's just not enough about them to justify an episode three today because we just don't know enough about them to get that. Fancy, fancy. Um, so we are doing spears, daggers, and rings. Which one's your favorite? I was actually ended up being fascinated by the daggers. Okay, okay. And we've talked about daggers before, briefly on the show. Yes, briefly. Well, are we ready to just dive in? I think I am. All right. So first up is the Spears of Eden. So we'll go over powers first. And an exhaustive list of the Spears' powers is not known. It's not really like ever stated to us. So we just have kind of instances of what specific Spears of Eden have given the user in-game from an in-game perspective. The first spear is the Spear of Leonidas, which is wielded by, obviously, Leonidas and Cassandra Eaglebearer. And so it gives special powers to its wielder. It gives increased strength and durability, the ability to ignore damage when falling from great heights, uh, gives visions of its past wielders, uh, can alert the wielder to nearby danger. Uh, and then the other spear that just has some abilities is Odin's spear, uh, Gungir, which basically just has the ability to like project itself forward to like extend the reach of the spear. So it's like what, maybe like, seven or eight feet long it can like extend to 10 feet and that's the power that it gives so that's really all the powers that we know that the spears do spears could it's also could be argued that spears are just modified staves of eden because all the staves have a spear tip on them to be able to use so would it be um fair to say that spears of eden are less powerful one of the lesser types of pieces of Eden. I don't definitely don't want to say that because they basically allow Cassandra to be almost invincible and to wield a lot of power. So I don't want to say they're the weakest. They're just different. Right, right. So are you ready to get kind of into 
the history a little bit. I mean, it's going to be quick because we don't really have a lot. But you ready? Let's do it. All right. So the spears, you guessed it, were forged by Consus during the War of Unification, which is a devastating conflict between Isu. This is not the Isu Human Rebellion. This is a war that the Isu fight amongst themselves. So essentially an Isu civil war. Yes. So then remind me, Consus is the one in which the mind of Consus was put into one of the pieces of the shroud. Correct. Correct. The shroud. So there's only been two known spears of Eden that we've seen in the game. The first one is the spear of Leonidas, which plays a big role in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, the first use of this spear by humans was the wife of Alexander II of Sparta, who was the mother, and she was the mother to King Leonidas. So it passes down the line to Leonidas, who uses it until his death at the hands of the Persians at the Battle of Thermopylae, which if you've watched the movie 300, that's what that's all about. So in that battle, the spear was broken. And the tip was returned to Leonidas's daughter, Mirene, and she would eventually pass it on to her daughter, Cassandra Eaglebearer, who carried it until it's lost its power to, due to an interaction with an apple of Eden. Uh, the spear was in possession of Layla Hassan, but it no longer has any of its power, and it's just a broken spear. So we don't really know what it is, but it's not a, really a piece of Eden anymore. It's just a regular spear now. Yeah. Interesting. I don't, this is one thing that I don't really understand about pieces of Eden, like that it's almost like they have minds of their own. Like they can just fall into the earth or they can just lose all their powers or just disappear for hundreds of years. You know what I mean? Right. I think it's more of we don't know where they are. We don't have a recorded history of where they are rather than them just disappearing. Okay, sure. That's fair. But my point is that it feels like they almost have a mind of their own, a will of their own, if you will. You could argue that um, they definitely have a weird interaction with humans. And it's just I think it especially can feel that way because pieces of Eden when wielded by someone who does not have enough Isu DNA causes the wielder to go bad sure i think that apple i think that pieces of eden are advanced technology and are programmed a certain way to where it seems like they have a mind of their own but they're literally just following programming mm -hmm. yeah no that's fair um and then the second spear we know is actually from most recent game in in assassin's creed valhalla you can find the spear gungir which Following the Isu human war and the great catastrophe, which is the first solar flare that destroys the Isu, the personal weapon of the Isu Odin, the gun gear, was trapped within the Gonyar Hyar, whatever that is. It lay there until 877 when Eivor, Odin's reincarnation, retrieved it while detouring away from her brother Sigurd on their way to Yggdrasil's supercomputer. So that's the end. That's the end of that Gunyir. Like we know it falls to Eivor and then it disappears again. We don't know where it shows up again. So this Gunyir, which sounds like Gunji from Star mm -hmm. Wars, I won't get us off track. Um, I just needed that to be known. 
this sword or spear, whatever it's called, is Odin's spear, like yes. the like the Norse god Odin. Correct. Um, so is Odin an Isu? Yes, we've we've talked about that. Okay, I think I forgot that. Anyway, go ahead. Well, that's really it for spears. Oh, okay. Well, I just feel like, I don't know. It's, I guess the thing that's interesting to me about these two examples is like, usually when we have apples or spears or swords or whatever, it's like, oh, this came from this human being. This came from this human being. And before that it belonged to this human being. But now with Odin's Gungnir uh, spear, it's like, okay, this belonged to an Isu god. And it wasn't really something that was ever given to humans. Not directly, at least. Not directly. That's what I'm saying. Well, I don't, we don't really have any record of a piece of Eden being gifted to humans directly from an Isu. Mm -hmm. They're always either stealing them or finding them. Other things like that. But, I mean, Eivor is Odin's reincarnation, so it's not even really fair to say that I don't think it's fair to say that this Gungnir spear ever really did fall into human hands. Right. You know um, what I mean? That's it's a gray a area. It's a gray a area. That's a stance to take, but I would argue against that, but I really can't get into it because of spoilers for Valhalla. That's fine. That's fine. Um, I may be talking out of my butt here. Right. Um, it has to do with where Eivor ends up in the end. Um, because there are two minds that exist in Eivor. There's the mind of Odin and there's the mind of Eivor. Sure. So you could argue that it is Eivor that reclaims Gungir. But Eivor is still connected intrinsically to an Isu. So I would, yeah. I mean, again, I'm probably speaking out of my butt since I haven't played Valhalla, but I just feel like it's, it's hard to classify Eivor as 100% human. So I, that's why I feel like this spear is a little bit different from the other one. Right. And this just might be, you know, it might just be the fact that they're trying to bring in Norse mythology in there. Because, you know, this is the other thing. We also have Hammers of Eden, which Mjolnir is one of them. But we just don't really know a lot about it. Right. So it might just be Ubisoft trying to bring in more like historical artifacts into that and people piecing together that they're pieces of Eden. All right, you ready to go to the break? I am. Makose! Shoot! Shoot the flying demon! Malaka! 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 Even now, faced as I am with the truth of your cold words, I refuse because I believe things can still change. I may never succeed. The assassins may struggle another thousand years in vain, but we will not stop. All right. Well, welcome to the break, the middle of the show. This is where we talk about all the things that have to do with the Assassin's Creed lore cast and not necessarily Assassin's Creed. So 
First thing I want to tell you is about our Discord server. We are a growing server. We've got a really awesome Cups podcasting server going on, and we always are talking about something. There's always a lively conversation, a lot of jokes, a lot of pet pics, all kinds of fun stuff. So make sure you join our server if you haven't already. The link is in the episode description. And you can also join the Robots Radio Discord where you can find tons and tons of really awesome podcasts to listen to if you're in the mood for a new show. We are also over there as well. I also want to talk about our Patreon. We just launched a Patreon Patreon for this show, and this is a really great way to support us. It helps us um, continue doing the show and gives us a little bit of financial support as we do take time out of our lives to create this content for you free of charge. So uh, we do have a new patron this week, which I'm so excited to talk about. And our new patron this week is MK10 Gamer. Thank you so much for becoming our newest patron. So exciting. And if you want to become a patron, you can also do that. Um, We have a lot of different tiers and one of the tiers at level two, um, the $10 tier, you can submit monthly ask me anything submissions. So like you can submit us one question per month and we'll talk about it on the show. And so I have one to talk about today. So this one is also from MK10 Gamer and he says, what's your favorite headcanon and why? So Austin, do you want to go first? Sure. I would say my favorite headcanon has to be that there are pieces of Eden that were specifically forged for humans to aid them in the human Isu war. And I think that it just, I think it adds a dynamic to the story and a dynamic to the Isu because otherwise they just become of like, you know, these overpower overlords that just ruled over humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think it gives a more plausibility of why the humans were able to give the Isu kind of a run for their money. Because, I mean, yeah, it's great that a couple of Isu hybrids stole an apple and inspired a rebellion. But what would they really have lasted that long? Right. That's fair. What's yours? I I honestly, and this is more of just an issue I take with the games, I don't believe Sean and Rebecca as a couple. That is not believable to me. Like, that is so not believable. So my favorite headcanon is that Rebecca specifically is actually a lesbian. So that's my headcanon. <laughs> They're that's just favorite. That's the only one I really have right now since I haven't finished playing through the games. I feel like I can't say what my favorite is for sure until I finish them all. But that's fair. They're just not believable as a couple. I'm sorry. You can't convince me otherwise. Have you? I mean, it's possible. That's very fair. Um, I just don't see it personally. All right. Anyway. Um, so that is our Ask Me Anything submission from MK10 Gamer. So if you become a patron at level two, you can submit once per month questions that we'll answer on the show. So I also have one more thing to talk about, and that is we have a new review to read out on the show. And this review is from Torolf, T-O, I don't know how to pronounce it, Torolf42. 
And he, they say, Lore of the Hidden, five stars. Truly informative podcast of a franchise that has taken the world by storm for 15 years. Deeper insight into a truly loved fictional tale. Or is it truly a fictional tale? The Cups bring an intriguing and amazing perspective on Assassin's Creed. Can't wait to hear the future podcast. Keep up the great work. Love the shows and the Cups. Thank you. Thank you so much for this awesome review. We so appreciate it. And if you cannot support us financially a great way to support us is to leave us a review you can leave us a review like with words on apple or you can leave us a rating just with a star number on spotify and if you do leave us one um on with words on apple we will read it out on the show if it's five stars and i'm not sure if we've hit it yet but we were trying to get a hundred ratings on spotify so if you haven't gone over there yet make sure you do that too all right austin i think that's everything i've got for the middle of the show unless you have anything else you wanted to add no i don't think so and I know I was really nice to you, but actually I'm just another Templar plot twist. And yes, I would like very much for you to be controlled by a magic space wizard so that you can murder me. I am not a father anymore. I am not a husband. I am not a Medjay. I am a heathen one. Yes. We are the hidden ones. All right. Well, welcome to the back to the show where we're continuing and we left off with Spears of Eden and we're about to jump into Daggers of Eden. So before we jump into Daggers, you have to know that they are not a piece of Eden by themselves. They are pieces of a piece of Eden known as the Trident of Eden. Um, Also known as Edenception. (laughs) Pieces of the pieces. Mm Mm-hmm. And so we need to address what the Trident of Eden was. So like all pieces of Eden, this was forged by the Isu and was lost following the Great Catastrophe. Is the Great Catastrophe the Isu Civil War? No, that's the solar flare that wipes them all out. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. The one surviving Isu, or one of the surviving Isu, Minerva, was so concerned with finding the Trident to keep it from falling into human hands that she caused the ascendance event in order to destroy the trident and what this event is is it basically think like a collective unconscious that centers around a piece of eden so it's like everyone is experiencing an animus simulation at once together And so she uses this to try to find the Trident of Eden and destroy it. So this event only happens among the Isu or does it happen among humans as well? This is done with six teenagers. That's frightening. Mm -hmm. Um, What game does this come from? It is not from a game. It is from a comic. That's, Uh, I mean, like as a person who works with teenagers, yikes. Yeah. And so (laughs) the Trident does resurface again with Alexander the Great, who uses it with, in conjunction with his staff of Eden to build his empire. So this is the first kind of instance we've seen other than Rodrigo Borgia opening the vault of someone wielding and using two pieces of Eden or more than one piece of Eden at a time. 
Right. And I think it makes sense for Alexander the Great because he was such a conqueror and builder of that of that empire. Right. And so after his death, his generals and trusted advisors break the trident into three prongs or daggers. One is sent to Asia. One is sent to his home of Macedonia. And the other is sent to Egypt, which makes sense because it's kind of the corners of his empire. The Macedonian and Egyptian daggers would eventually belong to the Roman Caesars. And one of them would go eventually go to the papacy. So now we have two pieces of Eden that are linked with the papacy. The papal staff and the staff this dagger. And this dagger. I mean, you can also argue yes. the apple, but... Yeah. So, Go ahead. I have a question. So, the trident, do we know how Alexander the Great used it? Or we do we just know that he did, he use, did it? use it? So, That's we can we guess know. kind of what its powers together would have been. We have technically seen another trident of Eden. And we don't know if it's the same one, but one can be used by Cassandra. It's the trident of Poseidon. And it basically just grants Cassandra the ability to breathe underwater. Um, that's kind of its passive ability. But that's it. Yeah, that's really it. Interesting. But we don't know if that's actually a trident of Eden or just a special trident that the game makes. Mm-hmm. But so the prongs do different things. So we can guess that maybe the trident did all of these things or some combination of it. But like the swords, the daggers deal with a sense of like charisma and manipulation through like persuasion or inspiration or like intimidation. Like those are their powers, similar to the sword. So we have three prongs, the faith prong, the fear prong, and the devotion prong. The faith prong, we know the most about the faith prong. It is wielded by Cortez, the Cortez who leads the conquistadors in Central America during his conquest of the Americas. Uh, his this dagger provides his men with almost a blinding conviction to the cause he was leading them in. He's also able, in this point, to convince some of the natives to help him in his conquest who are noted in saying they would rather die than help Cortez succeed. This faith thing can convince them to do it. Um, And then later into the Civil War, into the 1860s, during the draft riots in New York, a Templar uses the faith prong to even cause assassins to deviate and question their loyalty to the Brotherhood. That's really intense. Yeah. It's interesting to me that in this last point specifically, it's kind of being used as the opposite. Um, Like it's not being used to inspire faith. It's being used to inspire doubt and loss of faith in their organization. I find that interesting. So it can give and take away faith in this. Right. Which honestly makes it doubly powerful. Right. The next prong is called the fear prong, which this is wielded by Monge Khan, 
who is the child of Genghis Khan and takes over the Mongol Empire after. It had the power to conjure tar a target's worst fears as very realistic hallucinations. So it's like a Boggart yes. from Harry yes. Potter. But much more difficult to <laughs> deal with. And like, so. really think about right. it. We know pieces of Eden, their illusions aren't just like holograms. They are tangible things that can interact with the world. Think of that fight with Rodrigo Borgia, where Ezio conjures up physical copies of himself. I was freaked out when I did that, like majorly. Right. And so this illusionary power, I mean, a target's worst fear. And it's something different. Like we tend to think about like, the powers that, you know, from Stephen King's It or the Boggart from Harry Potter, where they conjure up these very like physical powers. But the fear prong can be used to like, like if your fe greatest fear is failure, it can send you into a hallucination where you just experience that. I mean, it sounds right. terrifying. Like, the in the hands of these conquerors, which they are in. In, they are often in the hands of conquerors. Monge Khan, Cortez, Alexander the Great, they are devastating weapons. If I, I'm reminded of, there's a quote from Bastila Shan in the KOTOR games, and she says, what greater weapon is there than to turn your enemy to your cause? She's specifically talking about Jedi who turn against the light side and go to the dark side. But yeah, I mean, you could, it doesn't matter if your enemy has more men or has better funding or anything like that. If you have the power to convince people who fight for them to come and fight for you, you're going to win. It's yeah. over. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter how big the other person's army is or what kind of ammunition they have or whatever, anything like that. It, at that point, they don't have anything if they're convincing the opponent's army, you know? Right. So the last prong is the devotion prong, which I think is interesting that it's separated out from faith. Faith and devotion are separate yeah. things. Because they're very similar sentiments mm -hmm. in, like in our world. The only known user of this is Harold Bluetooth, who leads and unites Denmark. Can you tell me more about who this person is? Um, he's a Viking that just unites Denmark and everything going on there. And so that's really all we kind of, I kind of know about him. He fights uh, Sigurd and a Sigurd's father and Eivor's adopted father on a battlefield where he wields the devotion prong. And what those powers were and what it did remain a secret to this day. No one speaks of it and no one knows it. Why? Like, was because it just was that terrifying? I have no idea. Interesting. Um, Creepy. Very much, very much creepy. Um, but yeah, that's the Daggers of Eden, really. And so I've got one more piece of Eden just really quick. Um, the rings of Eden. The ring is the simplest piece of Eden as it only has one power and its power is to protect 
is to project a shield around themselves to defend from projectiles. So this is another defensive piece yes. of Eden. It's really, so it's just the shroud and the rings. Correct. Um, but this one has no offensive abilities whatsoever. Doesn't mean it's not dangerous, but it has no offensive abilities. So the Isu would attempt to duplicate this technology on a greater scale and attempt to project a shield around the planet to prevent the Great Catastrophe. However, they abandoned this because they didn't have the technology or time to get it to a large enough scale to even protect an entire city, let alone an entire planet. So really, a ring, we don't really see a ring resurface again um, until eight, the 800s in that a ring comes, we know a ring is in possession of Guthrum, who is one of the Vikings that moves around England. Um, he's around the time of Alfred the Great. Uh, and in his negotiating with peace with Alfred, his famous story is that he was a Viking conqueror who went there and what stopped him is his conversion to Christianity. So he converts to Christianity and that ends his campaign against the Anglo-Saxons of the time. But in that, Alfred convinces Guthrum that this ring needs to be destroyed, which we see again, like Alfred is not interested in these pieces of Eden. He does not want to use them. He doesn't want anything to do with these false gods, I'm sure is what he would call them. I mean, I don't, I mean, I think you have to really respect that um, because he's one of the few people that really does stick to his principles. Yes. However, another Viking fights Guthrum for it and almost kills Guthrum and he is then taken the ring and its location is now unknown. Fast forward almost 1800 years, 1600 years. In the 17th century, a ring comes into possession of the pirate William Kidd. And this ring contributes to his rumors of invincibility. It is buried on a place called Oak Island which Kid then has a map to, and he divides it into four pieces that he gives to his lieutenants before he is captured by the British and executed. Connor Kenway finds all of these pieces together and retrieves the ring and uses it as his own personal shield to protect him from musket balls and cannons and all kinds of stuff. And that's the Ring of Eden. So we only have one. Maybe two. I guess that makes sense. But the thing I actually find the most interesting about this ring is that it really is born out of Isu weakness. You know, in their their attempt to create a shield for the whole planet. Mm -hmm. And they're they're unable to. Well, the ring is created before the attempt to create a shield. But they're using the same technology. Yes. Right. I just find that that link, I guess, maybe not origin to be fascinating because we don't typically hear about the Isu weakness. We hear about, oh, they're so strong. They're going to kill us. They want to enslave us, that kind of thing. Right. But it's the same thing of like, so this is going to date us a little bit. You know, the first Independence Day movie 
they talk about, you know, they're invaded by these aliens and they have all these shields and they all have everything and they can't like stop them or do anything. Well, they finally capture one and they're like, they're just an organic being with technology. Like they'll die to bullet holes. They'll die to disease, to dehydration, to everything. And that's kind of the similar situation here with the Isu. The need for these rings show that the Isu are not invincible. Yeah, absolutely. That they can be stabbed, they can be shot, they can be destroyed, just and like any also, other organic being can. Yeah, and you can also argue that the whole need for defensive pieces of Eden in general shows their weakness, that they are able to be killed, mm -hmm. because if they were invincible, why would they need anything defensive? Exactly. Well, do you have any other thoughts about rings of Eden? No, I just want to, before we wrap up, because we're going to move after this, we'll have a character deep dive, and then we're going to move on to the second half of our uh, season three, which is about actual Isu. Season two. Or season, or season two, which is about actual Isu. And I just want to point out that the Isu themselves never claim to be gods. Like in Ezio's conversation with Minerva, she's like, no, not gods. We just simply came before. Mm -hmm. um, which I think is a notice that at least the Isu we interact with don't lord that like or don't hold that mantle of God over humanity of saying like oh we are gods mm -hmm. they're just like sure. this, that's a title you were given we you humanity gave us humanity assumed that yes yeah that makes sense well not do you have anything else you want to add about Pieces of Eden? Any of the ones we've talked about before we wrap up? I don't think so. I think that's all I really got. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or you could talk to us on Discord in the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord server. Both links found in this episode's descriptions. Thank you for listening, and always stay to the shadows to serve the light, Assassins. Have you ever wanted to deep dive into the lore and stories behind all your favorite Marvel movies? Then do we have the show for you. I'm Captain Shanko. And I'm Psych88. Join us as we dissect the media megalith that is the MCU. We'll talk about the origin stories, the fights, and everything in between. The MCU Lorecast releases on all major podcasting platforms on Mondays as part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.